evening and welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. I'm delighted to welcome Carlos Hernandez to tonight's programme to discuss how an understanding of modern monetary theory offers socialists an opportunity to explain how a socialist government using MMT as a lens to understand the monetary system could create a good society. But mainstream political discourse continues to peddle the myth that taxes fund public services. Even John McDonnell, when he was Jeremy Corbyn's shadow chancellor, fell into the same trap and went to great lengths to explain how Labour's manifesto would be paid for through various tax adjustments. So perhaps we could start there, Carlos, for a lot of people watching uh, the programme this evening. It's kind of counterintuitive, really, to say that taxes don't fund public spending. Can you tell us what tax is for? And if it doesn't fund public spending, how do governments raise the necessary finance to pay for things like public services and social security? Well, that is uh, their very main point of uh, uh, of MMT, uh, of modern monetary theory. Um, uh, the, the tax uh, the, the taxes don't finance uh, the, the spending of the government, but they have three different uh, goals. They give value to money. They promote uh, the um, different economical activities, and they control inflation but they don't finance anything. Money is a creation of the state. So in order to be able to spend, the government has to, uh, 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 in order to be able to collect taxes, the government has to spend first. So that's why spending uh, doesn't, um, collection of taxes doesn't finance spending. It's the other way around. Yeah. And I mean, as I say, you know, a lot of people are, you know, they, they still see, I think, the the economy as working like a a sort of a household budget, which is something that Margaret Thatcher uh, was very good at sort of uh, conning people, I suppose, into thinking that that was how the economy uh, worked. Um, what, what would you say to, to, to people who are interested in this topic about how they should go about uh, disabusing people of that notion? Well, it's it's very simple. I would ask them a question that I have heard from Stephanie Kelton in the past, which is, when was the last time you went to the supermarket with the money you print in your house? That is what the government does. You, uh, uh, the, the families and the uh, private companies are not the government. The, the families and the private companies use the money that the government creates. Therefore, the money, uh, the government cannot run out of its own money. They create money from thin air in the central banks by um, uh, key strokes uh, in the central banks. So they cannot run out of money. The, the uh, way that uh, they should um, understand money is that the government, through public spending, uh, mobilizes real resources in the economy. So uh, uh, money is not scarce. Real resources are. And public spending is a way to mobilize all those public, uh, all, all those uh, real resources. So the fin financial uh, resources are always there. What you really have to focus on is uh, uh, real resources. So the government can purchase everything that is uh, on sale uh, in its own currency, so you can, in principle, buy everything that is um, that is sold in your own currency, including the uh, unemployed uh, labor force. 
uh, if you are unemployed, means that you are looking for a job uh, to get a salary. Well, the government can always hire you uh, because they cannot run out of money. That's the way they should uh, understand money. Yeah. And what about that? I mean, some people who are critical of MMT say, and skeptical of it, say that you would just simply create inflation by spending like that. How do you, how would you address that argument that people say that uh, you know, MMT is an inflationary proposition? That is the second, the second stage, uh, to put it that way. First, they say it's impossible that you can run out of money. And once they understand that uh, it, this is very possible and this is the way that uh, economy works, they say, well, but that creates inflation. But uh, in my opinion, the biggest, um, the biggest, extru- the, 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 the biggest um, advantage or the biggest point of MMT is that it is a method to create full employment without inflation. The uh, job guarantee based on uh, uh, employment buffer stocks allows you to have permanent full employment without having inflation. Because once you uh, establish a, a minimum wage, the, the, the wage of the job guarantee, the, uh, the price level always stays close to the, uh, the, the salary of the job guarantee. When the recession comes, then more people will join the job guarantee. That means that uh, um, uh, prices will stay uh, stable. And when uh, there is a boom, uh, the workers will not be able to push very high wages because the employer can always find someone in the pool of the workers in the job guarantee to keep levels of salaries close to the levels that they always are, the levels of the of the job guarantee. So uh, in this in this uh, way of understanding the economy, it is not um, that uh, uh, price stability. Uh, comes because you have an uh, employment. That is what neoliberalism says. You you have to choose between employment or price stability. What MMT explains is that price stability is a consequence of full employment. Yeah. I wonder maybe now, uh, Carlos, whether you might sort of just unpack what you mean by, which you sort of started to touch on there, um, what you mean by fiat socialism, and you've written about fiat socialism, you've explicitly talked about how modern monetary theory, you know, can be can be uh, used as a tool by uh, socialists. So just sort of explain your worldview. What would, uh, you know, fiat socialism actually look like if we were to implement it in, in Britain, say, or across Europe? Well, a definition of uh, fiat socialism would be the achievement of the goals of socialism through modern monetary theory. Modern monetary theory, as said before, is a method to obtain full employment without inflation. Now, what are you going to use the full employment without inflation for? You can use it for whatever you want. Uh, MMT is, is, like you said, a lens to look at reality, but it's not a, a regime. It's not a political system. The uh, full employment and uh, the price stability that you obtain through uh, modern monetary theory, you can use it for whatever you want. And you can use it to obtain the goals of socialism. And that is exactly my definition of fiat socialism. 
the uh, the achievement of the social uh, of the goals of socialism through modern monetary theory and i point to uh, five uh, goals in socialism these five goals are um, are written in a book of uh, stuart chase called the road we are uh, traveling and they are a guarantee and permanent full employment full and prudent use of natural resources. That is number two. Number three is a guarantee of food, clothing, health services, and education. Four, social security in the form of, of pensions and subsidies. And number five, a guarantee of, des of decent labor standards. In my opinion, any uh, system that provides these five goals could be called Um, socialism. And the way to achieve this in a sovereign, uh, monetary sovereign country is through modern monetary theory. Now, we, we had a conversation offline about this, uh, Carlos, uh, before we came on air, that Marxist economists are skeptical about MMT. Uh, how do you address the Marxist critique of MMT? What would you say? Well, uh, actually, I think that uh, it's not all Marxist. <laughs> uh, there are many Marxists who understand this kind of uh, of, of, of uh, reasoning. For example, Bill Mitchell. But um, what I think that uh, about the other kind of Marxists that don't uh, agree with modern monetary theory is that I don't I don't consider modern modern monetary theory incompatible with uh, Marxism. I think that the uh, labor theory of uh, of uh, Marxism is absolutely uh, shared by modern monetary theory. The only origin of value is human work. That's why modern monetary theory um, focuses on full employment. So on that sense, there is not a contradiction. They are both absolutely compatible. Where I think that um, uh, um, original Marxism and modern monetary theory don't agree is in the concept of money. Uh, for uh, if 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 you read the Capital and other writings by Marx, he talks about barter, he talks about uh, gold, he talks about silver, but he doesn't uh, um, talk about a fiduciary. Uh, economic system. And that is where modern monetary theory comes in and say, no, well, the, the conception of of of, uh, of goal, of, of money, uh, like something that you can run out, like a, a, a material thing that you can run out and therefore you cannot, uh, you cannot spend, is way in the past. Since 1971, we don't have a gold standard anymore. That means that the governments cannot run out of money anymore in their own currency. So that that uh, that um, system applied by by Marx doesn't apply anymore, you know. No. That is that is the main difference. Gee, I mean I've heard some people say uh, Carlos that um, were Karl Marx alive today that he would probably be an MMT adherent actually. I mean he he was writing at a time about you know the theory of money and so on based on the circumstances that prevailed back in the 18th century. Would you agree with that? 
Of course. I mean, he was right. They were mm. in a gold standard. So you can't really uh, no. uh, run out of money. But uh, in at the end of the first uh, volume of The Capital, he talks about fiat money. And he doesn't go very much into it. I, In my opinion, uh, he he has a, an ad hoc uh, reasoning about fiat, uh, fiat currency. Uh, he talks about fiat currency being useful to conquer other countries, to conquer colonies, uh, to, to uh, you know, uh, exterminate uh, indigenous people. Well, uh, the, question is, uh, the question is very obvious. Well, if you can use that uh, fiat currency in order to do that, which is true that it was used to do that, why cannot you use it to, uh, to spend from, from the government perspective? Why cannot you use uh, fiat currency um, in order to 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 spend uh, from the government perspective, and that is something he doesn't go he doesn't get into, really. No. And and MMT what what MMT does is to fulfill this hole in the reasoning of Karl Marx, in my opinion. Yeah, I wonder if you could say a little bit as well about uh, how the world a little bit more detail about how the world changed in 19, changed in 1971 when the Bretton Woods. Agreement came to an end because I guess some people watching will will be familiar with Bretton Woods, but I suspect a lot of people have, will have never heard of it, other than it's a place I think somewhere in the south of England. Um, could you just say uh, what the Bretton Woods Agreement was and what happened? Why was it jettisoned, and and obviously what the implications of that have been ever since? Well, in uh, in Bretton Woods, what you had was a peg currency, uh, or, or the international currencies were pegged to. Uh, the American dollar and to gold. You could exchange 33 pounds of gold, I think, um, for uh, uh, or grams of gold. I don't remember for for a dollar. So you could pick your currency in that way. In 1971, Nixon, the uh, the so-called Nixon shock, uh, ended all this. And the the American administration was going through a lot of problems because of the war of Vietnam. They had a lot of spending. And uh, they were afraid that they couldn't keep up the spending of uh, of uh, uh, the war uh, through the Bretton Woods system and the and the gold standard. So what they just did, they they just closed down the um, the office of gold, and they just kept on um, spending with uh, their own currency without any restriction. So from that moment on. The uh, uh, dollar was not convertible to anything. The rest of currencies would fluctuate uh, in the in the international markets, uh, depending on their value, and uh, the American government could keep on spending as much money as they wanted without any kind of restriction, and that applies for the rest of the currencies too, and that is what happened in 1971. From that time on, the governments cannot run out of money. From there on, they can spend as much as they want. That doesn't mean that they can spend as much uh, as they should, that they should spend without any, any limit. Of course, uh, inflation, for example, would be uh, um, a major issue not to spend without any restrictions. But they can. They have the possibility. Uh, it doesn't mean that they should, but they can. Mm. Can you just say as well, uh, uh, then, Carlos, what what taxes actually for then? What, well, what, do we, uh, what do we what do we use uh, tax actually, as, explicitly uh, for? As I say, taxes give value to money. 
in in order in order to uh, have uh, electric light, you have to pay taxes because if not, you don't have electric light. In order mm. to have water, you have to pay taxes. You have to do many things uh, uh, through taxes, you know, and you have to pay many things to the government um, uh, with with taxes. So taxes give money give value to money. Uh, that is the main the main uh, characteristic of of of, um, of taxes. They also control inflation. If you have too few goods for too much money in the market, what you want is to reduce the amount of money in the economy, and therefore you uh, elevate taxes. So you you uh, eliminate money from the from the market, so the price goes uh, of the of the rest of the goods go down. Same thing if uh, you are in deflation. If you have, if you have uh, too little, um, uh, if you have too many, um, if 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 you have deflation pressures, what you want to do is the opposite. You want to lower taxes. So the the taxes are a, a, are a method to control inflation, and they also promote the different economic activities. For example, if you are worried about um, speculative pressures of in the stock market well you can always raise raise taxes to lower the profit in the stock market if you are worried about the uh, housing uh, uh, prices because there is a lot of uh, speculation well you, then you can raise taxes on the uh, on the uh, housing market so it helps you to promote the different economic activities that you want in your economy Right. Yes, indeed. Let me just go to a few uh, questions that, that, that were put in uh, to me, if I, if I may, uh, Carlos, uh, before we go to Sean to get the comments from our viewers. Um, but there's, uh, I've got about three, three or four questions here for, from, from people who have written in prior to the programme starting this evening. And uh, the first one is this. It's a, 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 press, a progressive socialist government would almost certainly be met by stiff national and international resistance. If such a government were to come to power and used Britain's sovereign currency to nationalise or invest in state-owned production, how could or should it respond to capital flight, currency destabilisation and stagflation, as happened to Harold Wilson's Labour government in 1967 and Francois Mitterrand's socialist administration in 1981? How would you how would you respond to that? I, I would say that uh, there are three different questions there. Uh, to begin with, if, uh, with the with the first one, uh, we have to we have to understand the um, um, economic decisions as a trilemma. You have to three you have to choose between three things. You can choose between uh, uh, maintaining an exchange rate rate peg, maintaining an interest rate peg, or uh, and allow Capital, uh, capital mobility. From these three things, you can only choose two. And uh, in modern monetary theory, uh, what you what you normally opt for is not to have a fixed exchange rate. So you let the exchange rate fluctuate. You fix uh, the interest rate at zero percent because interest rates are only welfare for the elite, for the people who already have. Uh, a lot of money, and if you are worried about capital flights, you can always use uh, capital controls. So the the 
um, the flights doesn't happen anymore. So uh, between these three, these three things, you have to choose two. And the way to, to, to address that is not having a fixed exchange rate. You, you let your exchange rate fluctuate. That means that the speculation in the uh, stock, in the, in the international uh, money markets is very much ineffective against your currency. And uh, you, you, you fix your state exchange rate at 0%. And if you're worried about uh, capital flights, you just impose capital controls. Uh, yeah. In that in that way, uh, you can you can always uh, uh, control your economy without any major any major issue. Mm. Uh, what what happened in in um, uh, in in 1967? The stagflation problem. You know, you had uh, high levels of unemployment and high levels of inflation. MMT addresses that question from the perspective of real resources. Inflation is not a monetary phenomenon. Inflation is always, always a real resource uh, phenomenon. And this has been like that through whole history. In mm. 1967, you had the, uh, the, the oil crisis. And uh, throughout the, the 70s, you had the, the oil crisis. That is a crisis of real resources. And there you cannot do anything with your economic policy. If, if uh, uh, a, a fundamental um, real resource like uh, oil is scarce, you are going to have uh, uh, inflationary pressures. If you destroy most of your, of, of your industry, like uh, after, the sec- after the First World War in Germany, you are going to have yeah. inflationary pr- uh, uh, pressures. If, uh, if you have a crisis in your... In your um, production of goods and services, you are going to have uh, uh, um, inflationary pressures. What would have been the solution there? The solution in 1967 would, uh, for, um, for Wilson would have been political and say, look, guys, we have to sit down here because we have a problem of real resources. And we both have to agree, the workers and employers, to lower our income until this crisis is over. Once this crisis is over, we can take on normal life. But uh, if we keep on, if, if we don't make sacrifices until this crisis is over, we are going to have um, um, we are going to have uh, inflationary pressures, no matter what we do, because we cannot live without oil. You know. And the third question that they that they ask about is Mitter, Mitterrand. Mitterrand got into government with the help of um, the Communist Party. The Communist yeah. Party was, was part of the government and they made all kinds of reforms. But they forgot the most important reform or the most important policy in every uh, um, left government, which is the job guarantee. If you control your currency, like back then, France, you can always have 0%, 0% unemployment with a job guarantee. And that would have stabilized the uh, economy a great deal. They didn't do this, and uh, they kept the control of employment levels in the hands of the private sector. And that was the reason why um, the left uh, government lost after after this coalition between the socialists and the communists. The uh, level of unemployment cannot be decided by private companies. The level of, un- of, of employment is decided by the government. 
And if you want to have a full employment policy, full employment and permanent uh, employment policy, you are very welcome to do it. And then you can use the uh, level of uh, full employment to stabilize the rest of the economy. That was mm. the main problem in the in the government of Mitterrand. What do you think it is? I mean, do you have any insight, Carlos, as to why is politicians are are so dense in these matters? They seem to be constrained by non-existent constraints. I mean, they don't, you know, in this country and indeed uh, around uh, the world, we 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 don't really see governments uh, using the powers at their disposal to do the kind of thing. I mean, these are left left governments as well. I'm not talking about right wing governments, but left governments. I've never really, well, maybe, I don't know, unless you've got some examples where they have, but it just, I don't know. What, what is it with politicians, do you think? Do you have any insight in well, what, what the problem is? Uh, the, uh, let's just focus on, on the last sentence I, I said before. You, you keep the level of employment at 0% forever. And you take away the power of uh, uh, employment from, private, from the private sector. That that is in itself a way to get rid of capitalism. Capitalism yeah. has never, never uh, achieved this, and they, it will never achieve this. You know, in, yeah. if 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 uh, uh, you don't have a job guarantee and if you don't have a full employment permanent policy, then the the private companies will have huge amounts of power in the economy because at the end of the day, they will decide who they want to. Hire and who they don't want to hire, and by implementing uh, a job guarantee, what you are doing is taking away that huge power that the elites and the rentists have o- uh, over the rest of the economy, and that is something that so far no government in the West has tried. Of course, mm-hmm. we have uh, full, uh, full and permanent employment uh, in the Soviet Constitution and in the East. Uh, block in the socialist block, and that was the only moment when they uh, could really accomplish this. They couldn't run out of money, and they would hire everybody who wanted and could work. And mm. in order to um, to avoid that kind of socialist transformation of society, no government so far in the West, not even the communist in France in the eighties, uh, had the guts of doing this. You know, mm. and that is that is also a por- a, a, um, a reason why I'm I am um, I am proposing uh, fiat socialism because it is about time to say that the uh, level of uh, unemployment in every single society has to be zero percent. Everybody mm. who wants and can work must have a decent paid job, and, and that is that- a political decision. Of course, and. Um- we need desperately need that 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 commitment. It's certainly something uh, you know that I would be committed to. But we've got to obviously convince a lot of other politicians, and hopefully through through programs like this, we can we can help to raise people's consciousness about these matters and encourage them to be putting pressure on on politicians and maybe would be politicians watching this evening. But just on that point about the job guarantee, though, Carlos, what sort of rate of pay would a job guarantee? Uh, job command. I mean, would it be at a very low level? Would would people be unable to, you know, pay for the basics in life, or, or would it be set at a it's a, a much higher level, maybe at the European decency threshold level? I mean, w- what sort of rate 
of of pay should the job guarantee uh, well, actually command? Well, the, the the first thing that would disappear are the jobs that don't pay a a, a, a decent salary. So if you have a business and you cannot pay a decent salary to your workers, you should not have a business. Your business yeah, well, shouldn't exist. I've said that. If yeah. you have a business, it's because you can pay a decent wage to your to your workers. Uh, and what uh, the job guarantee is exactly that. If you don't pay me at least as much as the uh, job guarantee, I am not going to work for you. I'm yeah. just going to go to the to the job guarantee. So, in principle, you can put that level wherever you want. Of course, you have to uh, adjust it to. Um, Uh, inflation levels and, and the standards of living, and you can also uh, make it compatible with the re with the other five points I have mentioned of uh, uh, in in um, uh, fiat socialism. For example, I think that it is not enough with a job guarantee. I think that uh, we should also have a housing guarantee, mm -hmm. and that would also be a a great way to fix the level of um, of, of uh, taxes, for example, if you have a um, um, uh, housing guarantee and you say you can pay 25, 20, 30, whatever the number, percent of your salary, and then you will have a house. The house will not be yours. It will be a rented house, but everybody will uh, that pays 25 or 20 or 30 or whatever percent of their salary will, will have an access to a public housing. Well, in that way, you have solved the problem of, of taxes. You, you control inflation that way. You give value uh, to money that way. And you control the um, uh, housing speculation in the market, in the housing market. For example, you can also do that and, 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 and make compatible the job guarantee with the rest of, uh, of the five points of the social, uh, fiat socialism. So, yeah. The, the, what is the level of the um, salary of the job guarantee? The level that guarantees uh, um, decent living for everybody. Yeah, so it would certainly be substantially higher than the Britain's current minimum wage, which isn't really enough for people to, to live on. So I think what you're saying is the job guarantee uh, would pay a, a, a you know a salary which is commensurate with being able to be able to fully participate in society as I've got you correctly there let me just go on to a couple of other uh, questions then and then I'll, then, I'll, then I'll go to Sean and see what what people have been saying who have been watching uh, the second question that, that was sent in was uh, if state production isn't implemented spending through private capital for infrastructure etc will not change the nature of the business cycle will it Roosevelt's New Deal failed to create growth and reduce unemployment to acceptable levels. And despite extraordinary government spending in World War II, the United States still had very high poverty and unemployment rates. Well, uh, what, what you do with, uh, with this kind of, uh, of policies is uh, you implement a counter-cyclical uh, measures. If you have a, a recession, what you have, what you implement is a anti-recession policy where you, uh, grow, where, where you grow up in your, um, public spending in order to keep, uh, levels of employment, uh, at full employment. 
And uh, you do the contrary of what the European Union does. You know, when we get into a recession, what does the European Union uh, uh, do? They implement um, um, austerity. That is exactly the opposite of what MMT says. In order to change the cycle, you have to implement anti, um, anti-cyclical or counter-cyclical measures. If you have, uh, if the un- if the unemployment in the private sector grows, you have to grow your job guarantee through public spending in order to keep full employment levels. And um, is that the only way to get to full employment? No. Uh, Keynesianism was uh, also uh, on the on this page. They said, if you have unemployment, it's because you are not spending enough. And uh, you have to spend as much as necessary to have full employment. Well, the problem with that is that if you don't have a job guarantee uh, based off uh, employment buffer stocks, you can create um, uh, inflationary pressures. And that is that is one of the main points and one of the uh, the most important points of MNT. Private sector is not there to uh, hire everybody who wants to have a job. They are there to make a profit. And in order to make a profit, if they are if they are inside of the law, they have all the right in the world to do it. But the uh, the responsibility of keeping full employment is the responsibility of the government. So in order to make full employment and price stability compatible, you need a job guarantee. So it's not the only way, but of, of achieving uh, full employment, but um, is the is the best way of uh, of doing it. Uh, what is the problem with Roosevelt? Well, the problem with Roosevelt is that he didn't go far enough. He had kind of a, a, a job guarantee, but uh, he stopped its his own policies once the recession was mainly over. The the uh, book of Stuart Chase that I mentioned before was uh, exactly an attempt to make the uh, New Deal permanent. We have to keep the uh, full employment levels forever. Uh, through the spending in the Second World War, they got to full employment levels, but he was very much worried about what would happen afterwards. Now, when we don't have a war, now that we don't have so much public spending, we are going to go back to the crisis um, situation where we will have massive employ- unemployment, where we will have massive uh, um, poverty, and that's what we don't have to allow. And that is exactly what he he wrote about. Roosevelt, after the uh, New Deal, talked uh, about the government being like a household, so exactly what the yeah. neoliberals say, saying that we have to tax in order to spend, exactly the opposite of what the New Deal did. So uh, that was the problem with Roosevelt. He didn't go far enough and he didn't go uh, long enough with the New Deal. Yeah, it's interesting, that, isn't it, that, that Roosevelt was using the household budget <clears throat> analogy, something that Thatcher uh, adopted uh, latterly. And yet uh, Beardsley Rummel, who was the uh, head of the Nat Fed, I think wrote in 1946 that... Uh, uh, taxation for revenue expenditure is obsolete, and yet you've got, uh, you know, Roosevelt uh, making the very opposite uh, point. It's a curious state of affairs. So, I mean, th- these these issues have been known about for for some time, but it seems I don't know whether politicians are willfully obtuse or 
or what, but uh, clearly misinformed. It's it's um, a clear contradiction, and he also he he actually took the United States out of the gold standard. We also yes, have to yeah. say that you know, yeah, in order yeah. to be able to implement the uh, the the New Deal, he took the yes. United States out of the gold standard. But then he put the the, the country back in the gold standard again. Doesn't make any yeah. sense. No, indeed. And just for those people, uh, uh, Carlos, who are maybe not too familiar with what we mean when we talk about the gold standard, could you just sort of unpack that a little? Just sort of say, what do you mean when the currency is backed by the, the currency is on the gold standard? What does that mean? Well, uh, uh, what it meant is that the government had to keep a uh, uh, exchange rate in gold. So uh, you had to have enough reserves of money in order to keep the exchange rate of gold. If you come with gold to the central bank, you had the right to ask for uh, for money. And uh, the other way around, if you uh, wanted to um, exchange your uh, money uh, for gold, you could also do that. So the level of spending uh, of the government was limited because you the had... You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't spend so much that you couldn't keep the exchange rate with gold. Yeah, you basically uh, so, had to have it. Your expenditure then had to be backed by gold, gold reserves too. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you can yeah. always write down the, the the spending, but at the end of the day, you can run out of money because you you, of course, through history, every time that the governments have been in trouble, for example, in a war, or a major uh, or a, or a major recession like a, a New Deal. Um, like, like in the big recession in the United States, uh, the first thing they did was to forget about the gold standard. So yeah. that should have given them, given them the clue that the gold standard was the problem. You didn't mm-hmm. need the gold standard. You, uh, you, you just had to get rid of that. Of course, that brings us to some technical, um, technical, uh, problems. Uh, before the telegraph was invented, it was very difficult to keep uh, the exchange rate between the different uh, currencies uh, updated. You needed some kind of uh, anchor to keep the the exchange rate between currencies um, stable, and that was, in principle, what the uh, gold standard was for. It was more a technological problem. But ever since uh, uh, the telegraph was invented, you could transfer information from one part of the world to the to the other uh, and you could keep the uh, exchange rate of the different uh, currencies updated by the minute yeah so yeah. Af- after that the gold standard didn't make any sense whatsoever no a couple more questions then we'll go to sean uh, just a short one this one is does public spending in a, in a recessionary environment lead to private investment yes there is there is um, there is a very common uh, fallacy inside of the neoliberals in the uh, neoliberals' mind, which uh, which is the crowding out fallacy. They mean yeah. that if the government takes over and they spend a lot in the government, then there will not be enough money to spend in the private sector. Well, it's actually the other way around. Public spending equals private um, savings. So. When the government uh, spends, the private sector saves. So what the uh, um, public spending does is to increase the uh, power of uh, spending in the private sector. So that's why in a a recession, uh, the government has to increase their um, spending 
in order to uh, take the uh, private sector out of the crisis. And then finally, uh, is uh, is this this question before I go to Sean, as I keep saying, if the state uh, doesn't take on production because of uh, the issues that we raised in the in, in the first question, how does the state force private domestic investment based on both credit and borrowing? QE for private production and reinvestment of accumulated profits derived from MMT spending. If the state simply spends money on private production, for example, infrastructure, there's, is, there is nothing to force investment in new production. Then the capital that's accumulated in the hands of capitalists from state expenditure can easily flow into asset acquisitions causing inflation or flow out of the country and cause exchange rate-based inflation. And then he says it doesn't seem that MMT can address this, but I think you've sort of touched on that a little bit already, Carlos, but I don't know if you want to just sort of respond in more detail well, to that final point. One very important thing to understand is that the scheme, the, 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 the model of modern monetary theory works no matter how big the private sector is. Hmm. Your private sector can be only families... And uh, only families without any uh, any company, and the the MMT um, model still applies. So you can choose how big you want to be, uh, how how big your uh, your private sector is. But if you want it to be only families, that's fine. What uh, what um, uh, the modern monetary theory uh, and, and fiat socialism system says is that the, if the private sector is not covering the necessities of the population, the government can take over any moment. If there is a necessity that normally was covered by a, by the private enterprise and the private enterprise has decided not to cover that, uh, that necessity anymore, the government can take over. The government, through spending, can cover that necessity with a public company. Nothing stops the government um, of doing that. Um, uh, so it is very unlikely that uh, uh, the private sector says, well, I am going to stop um, making a profit because I could make a profit by selling my goods and, and, and services to the population. But in order to, I don't know, uh, to boycott the government, I'm not going to do it. Well, in that sense, the one who loses the most is the private company because the government can take over its activities and they will not make any uh, any money uh, anymore. And now, and then they talk about the the tax, the asset uh, acquisitions. If you yeah. speculate, if you speculate with asset acquisitions, the the very simple thing you can do is to tax them. That's why also taxation controls the different economic activities. I said before. If you uh, don't produce anything and you go to the stock market and you speculate with assets there, well, the government can actually tax you as much as it wants. You can make uh, a million every day, but if I tax you 99.99% of that million, you will not get anything. So no. um, taxation also, uh, also applies uh, to control this kind of... Um, of, of uh, speculative uh, activities. Yeah. MMT is normally uh, used by people who think that the financial sector should be very small. Banks mm. should be very small. 
what it should be much bigger is the productive sector, the production. But the financial sector should be very small, and you can do that with taxation. Mm, yeah. In the end, it seems to me, uh, Carlos, that it's about political will. If politicians have got, got the will to do these things, then they can do them. And it seems to me anyway that MMT gives socialists a tool to actually you know, bring the uh, speculators, to bring the capitalists to to heal, to deliver the kind of good society that we all want. It, you know, it just seems to me kind of common sense. I always talk about common sense socialism, and I, and I just think, you know, MMT very much lends itself to that notion of common sense socialism. It is a tool that can, I think, be used very positively in the hands of a, of, of a, of a progressive socialist government. And uh, I would urge people, you know, to embrace the kind of fiat socialism that you're talking about and to, you know, and to demand that we that we use that and go forward and uh, that our representatives, uh, you know, embrace it and use it as a mechanism to bring about the sort, of, the sort of society that, we you know, we've been striving to achieve all these years. But let me bring in Sean now, because I'm sure there'll have been some uh, comments from our uh, viewers and uh, see what they've got to say. Good evening. Welcome to the backroom chat room where we've been talking, making your questions and comments. And um, before we go to Carlos and Chris, don't forget to hit the thumbs up button, subscribe, and click the icon bell for notifications. You can also join Resist Movement for a People's Party from our website, resistmovement.org.uk. And this episode will also be available on your favourite podcast platform every Friday. Okay, so we've got a lot of questions and comments that have come in tonight, Carlos, for you. Jorge Amar says, by the way, Carlos, I love your T-shirt, no passaram. <laughs> Jonathan Cooper says, I see MMT as a way to explain how the economy works and dispel capitalist myths more than anything else. Um, you talked about the housing market. But house prices in the UK are continually rising. So the rich get richer and the poor can't afford to buy. How MMT address this issue? Through taxes and through, uh, uh, through um, public uh, guarantee uh, of housing. The government can uh, uh, create as much housing as it uh, needs in order to keep everybody uh, in a house. So uh, if you tax uh, the speculation in the housing market, you will get rid of it. And if you offer everybody a um, house or, or, or a flat for an amount of their salary, you will have everybody housed without any kind of speculation in the market whatsoever. But this would hurt the capitalist model of... Um controlling money, contra controlling taxation, controlling housing market. Do you think that that could really happen? Oh, oh yes, I do. Um, I think there is something very important to, 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 to have in mind. Um, the ideological uh, fights are primarily not uh, economic um Fight. They are an imaginary, and uh, 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 they are a fight in the imagination of the people. People first picture themselves in the new world that you are presenting, 
And if they picture themselves in a in a world that they find more attractive than the world they live in, is when they turn their attention to to if it is possible in economics or not. I think that people uh, don't want to have a socialist model where their um, level of control over their lives is is lower than the control they have now. And that is exactly what I pretend with uh, with uh, fiat socialism. We have to have the means in our hands to control how big is the private sector, how uh, uh, how big is the employment, how uh, nobody will decide where we're going to live, how much money we are going to make. Uh, they will not decide uh, what kind of job I will have for the rest of my life. They, that, that, that is something that the people can and must have in their own hands. But there are certain things that must be guaranteed, the guaranteed of the five goals of socialism. Everybody has to have access to that. Can, can, just for our viewers, can you tell us what the five goals of socialism are? Well, uh, th uh, that is what I, I said at the beginning. Those are the five goals that uh, Stuart Chase in his work of 1942, The Road We Are Traveling, uh, wrote. And they are, number one, a guaranteed and permanent full employment. Number two, full and prudent use of natural resources. Number three, a guarantee of food, clothing, health services, and education. Number four, social security in the form of pensions and subsidies. And number five, a guarantee of decent, of decent labor standards. In my opinion, we have to focus on these goals. And if we are able to guarantee these five goals to everybody, we can call that system socialism because such, such a system has, or, or such a, a situation has never been achieved in a capitalist society. And it will never be because they will never give up their power uh, to decide the level of employment uh, in the society. Wouldn't that cause all-out war with the capitalist system? Uh, excuse me? Wouldn't that cause all-out war with the capitalist system? Well, it, uh, you know, uh, in the films, the good guys win if they are more than the bad guys. So if we unite and we can picture ourselves in this society, that's why, that's why I said before that This is also uh, an exercise of imagination. If most of the population, the working population, the people who live or make a living from their work, picture themselves in this situation that is very possible, uh, it is at hand, they will not be stoppable. The, the, the elites can say whatever they want. They will not be able to stop this, uh, this, um, this revolution or, or this movement. As I say, what I'm saying is possible no matter how big the private sector is. So I have no problem with having a private ownership of the production of means as long as they play by our rules. If you want to play the game, you are welcome. I think that people understand very well that you can put a business and you can win, you can make money inside of the law. I think that people don't have any issues with that as long as you play by our rules. If you think that this is absolutely unacceptable and uh, the private sector 
gets out, well, there you go. The private sector is not needed to implement the measures that I have talked about. Yeah, um, somebody commented in um, in the uh, in the chat room that the capitalist system is sitting on trillions of pounds, trillions of dollars, and they're not investing. They're not investing in people. They've got far too much money. You know how much money do they need? Um, when people are struggling. Let's go to Angela Pezak now. She said, MMT isn't a theory that most of the public are familiar with. They still insist on the Thatcher trope, which is that we have to manage our budget as you would with a household. How can we get this message of modern monetary theory across to the general public? Just before, just before you come in, Carlos, your your link's very poor, Sean, and we're not hearing you uh, well. I wonder whether, if you turn your camera off, whether that might improve the audio. Uh, did you catch that question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carlos, yeah. Uh, well, uh, as I said before, this uh, this um, little joke that uh, Stephanie Kelton sometimes does is very good. You know, uh, you can ask the people uh, when was the last time you went to the supermarket with the money you print with a printer at your house, never. And that's exactly the difference between a household and the state. The state prints the money it uses in the supermarket and they cannot run out of that money. That is the difference between you, a private citizen and the government. So uh, let's start from there. Uh, You uh, cannot do what the government does. The government can buy anything that is on sale in its currency. And the question that you said before, People with too much money. Well, people with too much money, we don't need the money of that people in order to spend. They can they can have as much money as they want, but that doesn't mean that we are not going to be able to spend as much as we want to in order to achieve our goals. And on the top of that, we can tax that persons as much as we want, so they will only keep the money that we allow them to keep. So the amount of money that that people have doesn't mean that they are not going to allow us to implement any kind of measure. Yeah. I mean, Margaret Thatcher infamously said once, uh, Carlos, you probably recall, that the problem with socialists is that they eventually run out of other people's money. And, of course, that just kind of reinforced this notion that the economy ran like a household budget. And, uh, yeah, that, that got a lot of, lot of traction. But, of course, it's complete nonsense, as we know. But, Sean, can we hear you any better now? Speak to us. Okay, so yeah, going from what you've just said, Chris, um, Angela was asking, are, are there resources we can signpost people to to raise the awareness of, of mono, modern monetary theory? What are the resources? No, yeah. are there anywhere that we can, we can signpost people to? I, I didn't. I, I didn't listen. Oh yeah, to the you. question was, uh, Carlos, is uh, where can people find out more information about ah. MMT? What what, what well, resources are available? Well, there are, uh, in my opinion, three main authors uh, in modern monetary theory that everybody should read. Uh, the first one is uh, Bill Mitchell from Australia. The second one is uh, Randall Ray from the United States and Warren Mosler from the United States too. So uh, all the books and all the papers that these three persons uh, have written are absolutely essential to understand modern monetary theory. Bill Mitchell 
Randall Ray, Warren Mosley. Okay. Yes, and uh, can I just say as well that uh, Bill Mitchell runs a, uh, 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 I think it's a weekly blog, actually, Billy Blog, at Billy Daily, Blog. I mean, Daily, Daily. I said Daily Blog, sorry. I thought it was a week. <laughs> Bill is relentless and uh, there's, a lot, there's a mine of information. So if you're not following him on, uh, on Twitter, I would urge you to do so. I think it's at Billy Blog. Yeah. And uh, an amazing uh, resource uh, of, of information. Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, uh, GIMS, uh, uh, the, uh, the Gower Initiative for Modern Money Studies. GIMS.org, G-I-M-M-S.org.uk. If you uh, log on to that website, uh, they produce a lot of information. And indeed, they've published quite a bit of work that uh, Carlos himself has written. In fact, I'm just looking at something now. Carlos's article about fiat socialism is actually, uh, is, uh, is, or one of his articles anyway, is on there. So, so that's a good resource. So at Billy Blog and, um, and uh, the Gower Institute, really good resources. And obviously the others that, uh, that Carlos has just identified. And if you want to read a great book about uh, modern monetary theory, get Stephanie Kelton's The Deficit Myth. It is a brilliant book. It's also available as an audio book. I can understand it. So if I can understand it, anybody can understand it. It really is a, a, a very well-written book, and it does sort of uh, unpick a lot of the myths that are surrounding the way in which our uh, economy and uh, the way our politicians uh, basically spin a yarn to us. So, so those are good resources, I think, to go to. But go on, Sean, the last, last couple of comments before we close. Okay. Um, are you hearing me any better now, Chris? Uh, not much, so we might as well have your picture back on. <laughs> okay. Um, we've had a lot of comments from Ben Kavanagh, who has um, been putting some really good comments on the chat. He says that the level of unemployment sets wages. Capitalists depend on a reserve army of labour. Capital will never accept full employment. The army will be engaged in a coup before anything close to full employment would be achieved in a recessionary environment. As you reduce unemployment, wages rise and significantly. Wage prices are not static. It would completely disrupt capitalist profits. They will declare all-out war. Carlos is making no analysis of the loss of profits that these policies would entail to the capitalist class and what their reaction would be. So what's your um, thoughts on his comments there, Carlos? Well, that is that is the position that Kalecki, the so-called uh, Keynes of socialism, took uh, about this question. He uh, proposed inside of the socialist bloc. Actually, he was from Poland. A very very similar uh, alternative to uh, fiat socialism, but uh, he at the end he said, "Well, this will not be able uh, uh, to. We, we will not be able to implement this." In a, in a society where we allowed pa uh, private enterprising because uh, the reaction by the elites would be so so tremendous, would be so powerful that they would never allow this. Well, I, I believe in reason. I, I think that if we uh, gather as uh, mm, uh, the enough people, we are talking about an enemy that is very small. We are talking a very, very small percentage of the population, less than 1% of the population, maybe 0.1% uh, uh, of the population. 
if 99% uh, of the population uh, understands what we are talking, I think that this could be uh, possible in our society. But as, as I said before, if the private uh, elites, the private uh, enterprises decide not to participate in this kind of society, well, then uh, they are very welcome to leave. We don't need them in order to implement these, uh, yeah. these measures. The, 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 the size of the private um, sector is irrelevant. Yeah. And I mean, that's a bit of a council of despair, I think, from, from, from Ben, to be honest with you. We do know that the elites would certainly resist. And one of the things I was arguing for when I was still a member of the Labour Party and uh, going around the country arguing for greater democracy in the Labour Party, but was also for greater democracy in the economy. We needed to democratise our party, the Labour Party, in order to democratise the economy. And I made the point that the elites would not let us do what we wanted to do without a fight. And indeed, there was a general went on the record just after Jeremy Corbyn was elected, threatening that if he were to pull out of NATO or scrap Trident or cut the defence uh, uh, budget too much, that they wouldn't allow that to happen and they would use fair means or foul. So I was making the point we need to build a mass movement because we may need to be on the streets to defend a radical socialist government. Uh, and that's a really important lesson. It might sound a bit dramatic, but, you know, the elites will not give up their power without a fight. And that's why we have to stand together. And Carlos is absolutely right, in my opinion. And going back to what Percy Shelley uh, said in his uh, fantastic poem, The Mask of Anarchy, in the aftermath of the Peterloo mass Massacre, the final line was, ye are many, they are few. And as Carlos has just said, they are a tiny number in percentage terms. We are the many. And uh, if we stand together in solidarity, a, a common theme that we keep going on about on these programs, then we're incredibly powerful. And that's what we need to hold true to. And that's what we need to build, that solidarity. But look, we're out of time. We've gone over time. Carlos, thank you so much. It's been a really interesting uh, uh, session again, as always. Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you. Carlos has agreed uh, off screen to participate in the, the Resist uh, Festival in October. So we'll be talking about the things that we've been speaking about this evening in a little bit more detail. Uh, Carlos, I'm hoping we'll also be in attendance at the Resist at Rialto event, which is the parallel conference that we're organising uh, at the same time and in the same location or in the same city anyway as the Labour Party conference this year. So if people have had their appetites whetted and they're interested in the issues that Carlos has touched on this evening and want to look at it in a little bit more detail, you'll have an opportunity to see Carlos in person at those uh, events later in the year. Thank you very much indeed for watching this evening. Apologies that we've gone over time slightly and hopefully we'll see you next week at the same time, 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Good night.